3: Friday morning, the sixteenth of June. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till eleven a.m. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. In two thousand and eight, Damien English was thirty years of age. He'd been a TD for six years. He applied to Meath County Council for planning permission to build a house. He was granted permission, but there is little doubt that he would have been refused permission to build that house if Meath County Council had known that Damien English was lying to them, or if he had been honest in the way that he had made the application. Six months months ago, the Ditch website exposed this scandal, and English was disgraced from office as a Minister of State. Today he continues to work as a TD. The Oireachtas Ethics Committee has decided not to investigate his behaviour, and SIPO, the Standards in Public Office, has also decided not to investigate his behaviour.
4: Just to, to clear and explain the different uh, investigations, or preliminary investigations.
3: Well, they're, they're not going ahead, but uh, there wasn't in an intern because the Taoiseach uh, did give the impre- impression when he was responding to uh, Ivana Babic in the doll that Finnegall would deal with this internally, but there was no uh, party investigation in- into your behaviour. Nope. Okay. There was no guard investigation. Not that I'm aware. Of. Let's call a spade a spade here. You said you're going to stand in the next election, and you know that you'll get nowhere if you admit to being a liar and a cheat. Is not what's at the heart of you refusing to use those words.
4: So the so the next election, uh, I, the people of Mead West, who I've worked and served for as long as I possibly over the last 20 years, they have to make a judgment call, and no doubt uh, on every door I knock on. Can you, you help
3: the them with Congress, it. Say, Can you help them with it? it? Are you a liar and a cheat?
4: So already, Michael, over the last couple of months, the the people I've met and dealt with through the office, we've had a similar conversation I'm having with you. I've explained what I did. I've explained I was wrong. I put my hand up. Everybody has their own view of that.
3: But do you I think you'll be a, be, a uh, I mean, um, it, be a candidate? It, but it, I mean, if you right won't, to if you won't say you are or you are not a liar and a, a cheat, uh, would it be in the interest of Fine Gael to put somebody forward who, who um, can't answer such a question?
4: So, so the process in, uh, for to be selected to be a candidate, we have a convention. Uh, there's about 500 members in Midwest. Uh, they'll, they'll all have their own view on this and then we'll, we'll have a vote at that and if I come through a convention then I can run as a candidate. Yeah,
3: that's Damien English and as uh, the Mead West TD says everybody has a view on this. Uh, we had a number of people in touch with us yesterday. We ran out of time uh, and didn't have the time to come to those comments so we'll come to them now but we'll take comments as well this morning if you want to make comment on this. Uh, do you forgive Damien English at this stage I suppose is uh, the question. Tell us on 041983 2000 Text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. There wasn't much in the way of forgiveness on our phone lines yesterday. Raymond Lamb and Monaster Boy said, joke, 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 joke. There were a lot of jokes. Uh, And then he said, the amount of people who can't build or get permission on their own land, having spent thousands of hard earned money, uh, and then this joker comes on air to try and lie again. No morals, no backbone, absolute disgrace. As I say, there wasn't much in the way of sympathy, forgiveness or understanding. John Conlon and Bally McKenney says he's a politician. He's not going to give you a straight answer. John and Kel said, I don't understand Damien English lies. He's hanging himself uh, and he's a a finagaler, but he tells lies and he can get away with it. But my daughter and her boyfriend, they're looking for planning permission to build a house. If you only saw the BS that they have to go through, English can get away with it uh, simply by... Putting lies on paper. He's a liar and a cheat and should be thrown out of office, uh, says John. Uh, His words were somewhat stronger than that. I take it John was angry listening to the interview yesterday. Ava said, Damien English is not an upright standing citizen and he should not be a public representative for people in this country. Uh, Angela Uh, in touch saying motor mouth on two days in a a row Uh, god help us all must be an election on the way damien english is a liar paddy duffy says he has absolutely no sense of honor and i have faith in his constituents to send him packing Uh, another text from somebody who said what repercussions were there for damien english none that's right He, he put his hand up when he was caught out, Eamon and Dunleer said, good morning, Michael. The only reason uh, he uh, is in the clear uh, and the reason he is sorry is because he was simply caught out. Um, they're all gangsters, the TDs. What a corrupt little country, says Eamon in Dunleer and somebody else said he lied then he's lying now does Damien English think we are stupid get him off the radio that was some of uh, the response we got Yes, as I say our telephone number if you want to let us know how you feel uh, if you have um, forgiveness or otherwise 0419832000 text or whatsapp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie the complaint against Damien English on foot of the ditch website story to the standard in public office came from Paul Murphy, people before Profit TD in Dublin Southwest, who's on the line. Good morning to you, Paul Murphy, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. I I understand you listened to Damien English's interview yesterday and his explanation uh, for what happened and how he intends to stand in the next election if people will have him. Do you think people will have him?
5: Good morning, Michael. Well, I suppose the only thing that I would agree with Damien English on is that it is now over to the people of Midwest to decide um, whether they will have them and I think it was very good that you did the interview that you did with them um, yesterday because I think it provided people with the information which will hopefully help them make up their their mind. Um, And I I don't know. I mean, uh, from the responses that you're getting there, it it doesn't sound like the people uh, will have them and I would hope that people won't have short memories on uh, this sort of stuff. I mean, what what, what struck me uh, about the interview was two things. One, Damien English repeatedly claimed that he put his hands up immediately and resigned. Um, that once this was, you know, he, he was he immediately responded. When, like, the truth is, as one of your texters pointed out there, he responded when he was caught. And um, so it's true that when he was caught, he went quite quickly, unlike some of the politicians who try to hang on. Um, but, it, 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 you know, this false information on a planning application was made 15 years prior to his resigning. So if he hadn't been caught by the ditch, he would be continue to be a minister uh, today, having provided false information. And then the second thing was obviously striking for the, from the interview was Damien English's refusal to accept uh that he had lied that he'd been dishonest on his planning application he repeatedly referred to it as a as a mistake whereas you know he did not slip and fall and suggest that he lived in the property that he didn't live in uh provided evidence to suggest that he lives in the, the family home that he didn't live in and you know didn't include reference to the property that he had and you know, people are making the point in the text about the double standards, and I think that that'll be very strong for people that if um, you know, if he hadn't provided that false information, he would not have gotten permission to build the home. Presumably, that's the home he's still living in uh, today. And there's lots of people who aren't able to get permission for building homes. Or I know of other people. I know of a woman who is living in a council house who built a. Uh, like a log shed in her back garden and the council said she, had, she didn't get permission, she didn't realise she had to get permission and the council threatened her with eviction if she wouldn't bring it down and had to, was, was forced to bring it down as a consequence. So this idea that there's one rule for them and one rule for everybody else.
3: Do you think it says anything about Fine Gael or the integrity of Fine Gael candidates or are you surprised to hear that there wasn't an internal investigation?
5: Well, I, I certainly plan to pursue that if Leo Vracker is in the doll because uh, the impression was given previously on the doll records that there would be an internal Fine Gael, uh, process, but listening to Damien English and there's no reason to disbelieve him on, on this matter, um, there wasn't anything. Uh, they simply were attempting to kind of sweep it under the carpet, say he's gone and we move on. And I think that is a fundamental problem here. The idea that once someone goes as a minister, that's the end of the process. There shouldn't be any investigation because it means there's no real learning of lessons until the next person is caught out and then the same thing happens again and once they're gone, we just swiftly move on. I mean, you know, I I have lost count of the number of ministers who have been lost by this government, both Fine Gael and Feenball, in the course of the last number of years, over issues like this, which are, you know, basic unethical behaviour, breaching of the rules, acting in a way that Ordinary people are certainly not meant to, to act and for which they could get in, in trouble for um, and acting as if the rules don't uh, apply to them. One um, of the other things that strikes me, and I think a question that remains to be asked of in English, if you have not presumably we'll be back on at some stage about another issue, is um, it seems to me that he escaped investigation from BICIPO the only way it makes sense is that he told Cippo that in some way that the Castle Martin House was continuing to be used by his family, and um, he's never come clean on that. He's never provided a clear answer as to whether that is his claim or not. Um, and if you read the reports on the Ditch website and the Irish Times, both visited the property at different times and suggested that there was nobody living in it. Because if there was nobody, if it wasn't being used by his family, well then. It is just very clearly a breach of the register of the rules relating to the register of members' interests. He should have declared the property, and it wouldn't make sense that Sipo is not investigating. So I think there is there remains an outstanding question there about what he said.
3: It doesn't CIPO. look pos- it doesn't look possible for somebody to live in it at the moment. It appears to be derelict.
5: It, exactly, um, but if it's derelict, uh, then and if therefore there's nobody living in it, then it's definitely not covered under even the broadest definition of primary uh, residence. Um, and therefore, like, it's just open and shut that have been declared on the on the register. And I don't think it would make sense that SIPO said they weren't going to uh, investigate it on the grounds that it seems that he had complied with the, the guidance, because the guidance is, is clear. So it seems to me likely that he claimed to Cipo that in some way this was used by his Family. So I think we should, he should publish any correspondence he had with CIPO, any claims he yeah. made to CIPO, so that they could be checked against, um, against well, the, the reality.
3: I, I take it you're not surprised uh, that uh, there wasn't a, a Garda investigation because nothing illegal happened. Uh, should it be illegal to falsify a, a planning application?
5: Yes, it should be. And um, obviously, That that will include taking account of circumstances. People could genuinely make an accidental mistake on a planning application. But if there isn't an intention to mislead the planning authority, that should not be illegal. But where there is an intention to mislead the planning authority and receive planning permission for something on a false basis, um, that should absolutely be uh, illegal. I mean, he is the beneficiary of the fact that this is so long ago that there can't be a planning enforcement action against this. But to th- th- be honest, he would not have got the planning permission if he had been honest on his planning uh, application. And if this had been caught in time, he could have been the subject of planning enforcement by the council to say the House needs to come down because he shouldn't have got permission for it.
3: All right. Um, has he not paid the price, uh, I suppose, is uh, the next question. I think that's how Renee in County Meath feels. She says, I think Damien English should be left alone now. He's apologised. He stepped down from his ministerial role and he's a very good TD.
5: I mean, to the English have nothing personal against him. But he doesn't want to be left alone. He wants to be re-elected. Um, so, and so that is for the people to decide, and if people decide to re-elect him, that's, that's absolutely their, their decision. But I think it is absolutely right that his behaviour around this matter, when he was a TD, let's remember, you know, it wasn't even... It, it didn't happen when he was a private citizen. It happened when he was a TD, when he was responsible for setting these sorts of, of laws. Um, it's absolutely appropriate... That is part of the discussion, but that will be part of the discussion come the next uh, general election, when he's standing for election, as I'm sure uh, it it will be, and that people take it into account and that it's, it's fully interrogated.
3: Okay. Uh, there's going to be a, a, a lot of uh, we'll leave that there for the moment Paul thanks uh, for that Thank we believe leave it there for the moment but uh, there's going to be a lot of talk next week uh, about new neutral oh <laughs> I was going to ask Paul Murphy uh, about uh, the uh, incident uh, and, uh, and indeed uh, the row uh, I suppose you could call it that broke out yesterday in the doll between himself and uh, the tarnished Hall Martin who had suggested to him uh, that people before profit in power or at some time in the future uh, would put the jackboot on on people, uh, but uh, I think I probably confused the issue and we've lost Paul Murphy from the line there. Uh, But uh, we will hear some of uh, that interaction uh, between uh, the two Ds, T Ds, a little bit later on in the programme. Didn't give me a chance uh, to bring some of the other comments uh, that have been coming to us. Uh, Oddly enough, I suppose you could say, uh, there are people uh, who aren't happy to hear Paul Murphy on the radio. Get that waffler Murphy off the air and leave Damien English alone. Tara Mines is a major issue. You should be following up and give air time too, says Paddy and Kells. We'll be hearing the very latest from Tara Mines. The unions are meeting with the company as we speak, Paddy. We'll be speaking again to John Regan, we hope at least, uh, after that meeting or, or uh, at some stage uh, and get the very... Uh, latest up-to-date information for you before the end of uh, the programme. We've Pat McDade in Drogheda saying, I hope you ask Paul Murphy if he'll ever publicly apologise to two women, two workers, two socialists, two trade unionists, Karen O'Connell and Joan Burton, who were trapped in their car for some three hours during a protest orchestrated by this man and at least seven of his male supporters at uh, Jobstown in November 2014. Thanks uh, for that, uh, Pat. I think we've asked that question, of Paul Murphy, a a number of times. I don't think uh, you're going to um, hear uh, an apology from Paul Murphy. Uh, Somebody else texting us. This is a very interesting um, text, and I think it's probably valid. How many of those comments are from within Damien English's constituency? Uh, Maybe uh, there's uh, people from outside of the constituency who have... Other political allegiances who uh, would be anti Finnegale, if you like, uh, would see this as a political opportunity who are texting. And that's a valid point. Uh, I suppose we can never uh, distinguish uh, people's political affiliation or their motivation for texting us. We, all we can do is read out the text. We believe there's a lot of people in Mead West who are, are listening to us this morning uh, and uh, if you have forgiven Damien English, and I think that's what I said at the outset, you're more than welcome to contact us and let us know. Uh, and we've heard from some there, I, I think uh, it's true to say. So uh, our phone lines, let me repeat the numbers. The phone lines are open 41 983 If you want to ring us today, text or WhatsApp 86 658 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Ruama works with uh, people working in uh, the sex industry, and uh, they say that the demand for sex trafficking is evidently growing with more victims presenting to Ruama last year. They engaged with 147 victims of trafficking, 45 of whom were new referrals. It's a 60% increase on new referrals compared to, to the year previous. And that Ireland now is on Tier 2. Two. It remains on Tier 2 in uh, the latest trafficking imper- persons report for this year from the U.S. Department of State. Danielle McLaughlin, Policy and Communications Coordinator with Ruama, joins us now. Good morning to you, Danielle. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme uh, today. Uh, these are obviously very vulnerable people. How were they trafficked? O- on what basis were they convinced Uh, that they should come to this country, because I take it a lot of them came here under false pretenses uh, and ended up working in the sex industry.
6: Yes, right, that's often the pattern. Um, The majority of the the women that we see, the majority of of the services of Raham are women, um, would be from different countries, um, and actually we, we would see women from across 56 different nationalities. Um, but unfortunately, many women um, would come from marginalised and disadvantaged backgrounds, um, and they're put in positions of vulnerability that leaves them vulnerable to sexual exploitation. And this can happen in various ways. Um, they can be promised uh, legitimate work um, in, in another country. Um, often, they might think they're going to the UK, but they end up in Ireland. Um, and um, other others might be told that they're, you know, they're going to be offered. Um, care work or housework, um, or work in a shop, um, and arrive, and their passports are taken off them, um, and they're trafficked into the country, and they're forced to sell sex. And um, there's others who will have been smuggled in, and then through difficulties with access to immigration permission, will end up being forced into sexual, uh, sexual exploitation. And um, so there, we're talking about a lot of people who are um, in desperate situations. Um, and find themselves in a situation where they're coerced or they're forced um, and it is a, a heinous crime and, and we're, 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 we're finding it very difficult as a country to tackle this problem um, which is why Ireland's peered um, ranked um, at tier tier 2 again for the second time um, in a row um, and we really are striving to get to tier 1 and reach those minimum standards to, to support. Okay.
3: Uh, can 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 you explain to us what Tier Two means? Uh, I, I mean, um, uh, how do we rank globally?
6: Well, we ranked globally at Tier Two um, last year. We were we were upgraded from the year before uh, from a watch list, um, and that was because we weren't we were we were not meeting minimum standards at a much lower level than other countries, and um, and we had moved up in the rankings because we had our first um, conviction of traffickers. Um, and this hasn't moved since last year and there are a number of other areas that um, has have very, has very been very slow in progression and um, we know that there's work going on and there is um, a human trafficking bill that's, that's been put through um, the Dáil and we are, we are we are actively waiting for that um okay. quite a long time and mm. um, we're waiting for a reform of uh, a mechanism that's called the national affair mechanism to protect and identify uh, victims of trafficking and we know that the system is quite complicated at the mm-hmm. moment and we're not identifying as many victims as we should.
3: Okay, but are we a- any different, are we any better or any worse than other European countries uh, uh, in terms of how we're ranked, um, uh, could we uh, do better, do we clamp down uh, on trafficking in, in the same way that it happens in your other European countries?
6: Yeah, so one example would be the UK The um, UK is ranked tier one and they're quite a high um, a, a quite a high rating of fiction, convictions of traffickers and um, their their legal system is operates differently and their definitions are different and it's, it's quite a complex um it's, it's quite quite complex when you talk about the different mechanisms um, for prosecution and and um, arresting and powers of the police. So I mean, I think that's one area where we're uh, striving for for improvement um, across all stakeholders. We recognise that there needs to be more powers with the guards to arrest and prosecute buyers and pimps and traffickers, which is what our law is is aimed at. And um, our, our law from 2017, the, the Sexual Offences Act, and um, to Criminalise the buyers, the pimp traffickers, um, and decriminalise women involved in prostitution.
3: Okay, what ages uh, are the women? I think it, it's uh, predominantly women. Women, for the most part, uh, who are trafficked into this country for the purpose of prostitution. What ages are they?
6: I mean, I mean majority are of a young age. Um, we would find it difficult to, to get, you know, accuracy on that, giving. Given that a lot of a lot of traffic victims are hidden, um, but the women that we see would be quite quite young um, and young adults, um, and it would be mainly women from lots of different countries and um, developing countries in particular. Um, and we know that punters generally um, the demand drives the trafficking because punters are um, interested in young women, different women, different nationalities. You know, um, and and want to experience different different women. So, and mm. um, this is driving traffic in a way, um, and a lot is to do with this culture that um, prostitution is acceptable, that buying sex mm. is acceptable.
3: Yeah, it, it's like any other product, and that's what the women end up. Uh, they're not people; they're products, uh, and it's all down to supply and demand. And obviously, there is a, a, a huge demand: men looking to buy sex for whatever reason, uh, which in itself is a huge uh, concern, but that demand is there. Uh, And those men who are buying sex off, uh, women or girls who have been trafficked to to this country, uh, we we, we, we talk about it in glossy terms, saying uh, people being trafficked into the country to work in the sex industry, but they're being forcibly uh, put into prostitution. uh, And as a result... Of that uh, happening against their will, they're being raped over and over. It would seem.
6: Yeah, and there's huge money to be made in um, in buying a human being over and over, or selling a human being over and over again. So this this trade uh, is profitable. It's worth 180 million. It's estimated um, in Ireland per year, um, and the, the the women who are subjected to this. Um, are trapped, they're forced, they're coerced, and often will be threatened um, to if, if they're seeking to exit. Um, and they're often um, in a country that they, they don't know anyone, they've no one to, to support them, they don't know if they can trust the police because they've had bad experiences in their home yeah. country, um, and they don't know where to go to or who to trust. Um, and unfortunately we're not seeing as many women um, in our service as we know there are out there. Mm. And the women who are are speaking the services of Raham and are supported are severely traumatised and are experiencing ongoing physical
3: and mental health and complex I'm sure I I mean to be continued to to have a a lifetime of being raped Uh, that's uh, what it is when you're forced into prostitution isn't it Uh, and uh, we're talking about that demand uh, which uh, is possibly the most important part of the conversation because like any market if uh, there isn't a a demand you won't have the products Uh, the products are the women they've been objectified by the men they obviously have no Respect for these women, uh, which is in itself disgusting. But then, when you think about the men, the same men go home to their wives and girlfriends quite often, don't they?
6: Absolutely. The typical punter is not the quiet, shy, um, single, a lonely man. It is often um, individuals who are married and they have children, and they're often the, the, the you know the middle class, the, the people who are earning an income and can afford. Um, to, to to buy sex, um, so it it is quite um, you know there's, there's some kind of myth out there mm. about you know this um, glamorised version of of the sex trade, and in matter of fact it is it is a heinous mm. crime. And um, the women who are working um who who who's been forced into work in the sex trade, they're trafficked or moved around the country, and they're moved from county to county uh, for you know weeks. Weeks at a time, and um, punters are are brought in and out um, of you know a, a kind of a pop up brothel, hmm. um, and uh, they they're they're moved around and they are you know actively culturing. Yeah.
7: Um,
6: and and you know it, it allows this trade to continue. And unfortunately, it's very hard to um, to tackle because a lot of it is is online, and hmm. um, so technology is really important in, in trying to tackle this um, this issue and. and monitoring and tracking um, the the advertisements um, of of websites um, and tracking where... And
3: and they're everywhere. I mean, um, you you can buy sex in every village, uh, I think, of the country, never mind town or city. Uh, But um, when we talk uh, about these men, it's interesting to hear you talk about them having children, because I imagine that there's some men, at least, who have daughters who are older than the girls, they're buying sex off uh, and uh, they don't give it a, a second thought. Uh, you in Rwanda work with uh, rescuing people from the sex trade, uh, if I can put it that way, Danielle. Uh, and quite often then they're housed in direct provision.
6: Um, yeah, well, I mean, we, we work with people who are, who are active in prostitution and, and women who are Trying to exit or are, are considering exiting, and then women who are who have been trafficked and have somehow managed to escape their traffickers. Um, it is a terrifying um, situation to be in because they are in limbo in terms of their their immigration status, and as I said, will be accommodated in the direct provision centres um, whilst they're all, they're going through their asylum process. Um, and unfortunately, because of the current mechanism to identify. Victims of trafficking, um, the majority of the women we're working with here trafficked um, are not going through the, the process that is specifically made for victims of trafficking because it, it, it doesn't um, offer the same kind of reliability or support security um, as the asylum system. And, but unfortunately, the only option for accommodation for them is direct provision, which internationally has been recognised as inappropriate. Um, and, and unsuitable because they're going through uh, a stage of, of recovery and they're going through PTSD and they're traumatised, and the risk is that being put in amongst a shared accommodation and mixed genders will, will further traumatise these women and will put them actually at risk of being re trafficked again.
3: Okay, Danielle, I have to leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Danielle McLaughlin is Policy and Communications Coordinator with RUAMA. Some more comments coming to us uh, this morning. Sean in Dublin 9 asking in a WhatsApp message, is politics the last refuge of scoundrel? Of course it is, he says, when you look at uh, the shower of wasters and uh, talking BSers in the doll. Thanks, uh, Sean. I don't think I agree with that at all. I think uh, there's uh, many people of integrity in politics. I'd say the vast majority are, uh, in fairness. and I, I, I think I can understand uh, um, why people would say that about politicians, but I, I don't think it's fair. That's... An opinion, if you like. Uh, Robbie says uh, it's unbelievable actually. Uh, many people uh, have got in touch with us about Paul Murphy uh, uh, to say get him off the air. Uh, that's what Robbie says get him off the radio, uh, as uh, the country would be in a right mess if he and the Shinners got into government. The day they take over running the show, we're all done for, and the Shinners can't cope with six counties. People will have to think very hard at the next election. He says the Muppets that are in now are no good, but better than these other gobs. Uh, That's an abbreviated version of the word uh, that uh, Robbie sent to us. Uh, uh, Another text from somebody who says, Damien English has nothing to lose by running in the next elections. Uh, Like uh, a lot more that were rejected, he will get a seat in the Senate as a, a senator. He won't be going to the Dole office. Like workers in Tara mines. That comes to us from a listener in Trim, and thank you indeed for your message. Our phone number, just to repeat it, oh four one nine eight three two thousand text or WhatsApp 0861800658, Email Michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, if you were listening to us uh, yesterday, you'd have heard Darren O'Rourke uh, before he went into the doll to ask questions of Minister Eamon Ryan about uh, Tara Mines. Let's hear some of uh, those questions posed by the Sinn Féin TD for ETH East.
2: Specifically in relation to Tara Mines, there were repeated requests to you, Minister, to intervene. There is a letter from 2 issued to you yesterday specifically looking for a meeting with yourself, with SIP2 and with Minister Coveney early next week. The union will facilitate a, a group meeting or individual meetings Have you received that letter, and will you meet with the union next week?
3: As I say, Darren O'Rourke was putting questions to Minister Eamon Ryan.
8: I haven't received that letter, and the government will approach that in the way that's appropriate, Minister of Enterprise, Minister of Social Welfare. Yes, we will look at any issue in terms of energy prices, but it is not possible for us to directly intervene to change energy price contracts that the company may have. But I do look to see the company return back in operation. They provide a value and important service to the Local area, but also nationally and internationally, as one of the largest zinc mines in Europe, we do need that. M- 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 material and we will do everything to help the company get back in operation and help those workers get back to work the best way of doing that is switching to renewable power where we can bring the price down
3: Mm, i'm not sure uh, that we have uh, the time uh, to run Tara mines on renewable energy what can be done in the immediate term that's what darren o'rourke wanted to know
2: can i ask specifically minister will you meet with CIP2 early next week? That's what they have requested. You have failed to respond to repeated uh, requests, Minister. And I I think that is a failing on behalf of yourself and on behalf of government to do everything possible uh, in in this case. And separately, the second question, um, there are reports that government are looking at a specific intervention similar to the type of energy support that was provided for the, the tech sector, for the microchip sector. I understand that of existing schemes there are challenges around state aid rules. Will you meet with SIPTO early next week and are you looking at a specific uh, scheme to support taramines? The first thing I have to do early
8: next week is attend the European Council, where, as I said earlier on, There, that's the policy area where we can change and inform and direct the whole market system and energy prices. I'll also be working with Minister Coveney because the Minister of Enterprise, as well as the Minister of Social Welfare, has a critical role to answer your question in terms of any supports or any other arrangements for any industry. That is something that the Department of the Minister, the Minister of Enterprise and Employment has the key role and we will be fully supportive and work in a whole-of-government way to make sure that we do do everything we can to get those jobs back and get the mine back in operation.
3: And the translation for you, uh, that's the Minister saying, no. He won't be meeting with uh, SIPTU last week. No, he won't be responding to that request uh, favourably to meet with uh, SIPTU. Next week, he'll be going to the EU Council. He was, uh, let's say, Minister Raymond Ryan responding uh, to Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke. Michael,
7: Michael Reed on
3: LMFM. Now, Paddy is in Avon. Thanks for your call. Paddy says, why is Paul Murphy surprised to think that uh, someone might lie in political life? Sure, politicians promise everything when they're trying to get elected, but never deliver on those promises. When they are elected, so everyone lies to feather their own nest. He says, everyone tells lies... Why shouldn't Paul Murphy apologise the same way Damien English had to? What's the difference? There's no point continuously bringing these things up and rehashing things Damien English made a mistake he's apologised let's get on with it and let him get on with his life Mick says it's time to move on from the Damien English story there's been enough said and it's time to go back to highlighting the real issues that need to be tackled by government the growing homeless figures for instance Mick says he was speaking to a homeless man in Balbriggan yesterday and the man told Mick that someone had slashed his tent and ruined it he says the attitude towards homeless people in this country is absolutely disgraceful more Action is needed from government. A text from someone who was listening to Eamon Ryan there before the headlines, uh, who says um, he sounds and always reminds me of uh, an arrogant, spoiled child, twisting everything to make it look like he knows what he's on about. God, (laughs) that's uh, (laughs) a... Pretty critical, isn't it? Jerry Wilkinson says, Michael, like any business, if the overheads are too big, there's no way you can continue. Uh, this is to do with Tara Mines, I'm sure. He says they'll have to cut back on the workforce, or maybe it's the end of the road for Tara Mines. Pat says, Damien English should have just answered the question and said, Yes, and yes, I lied and cheated on the form and trusted the people. They are not without empathy. Thank you, Pat, for that. Now, as you know, the government is going to ban vaping to under-18s. This is part of the Public Health Tobacco Products and Nicotine Inhaling Products Bill. There's a lot more to it uh, than just banning under 18s from vaping or the sale of vaping products to under18s as the case may there's uh, case may be there's many strands to this legislation.
1: Section 10 also provides that a license will not be issued for sales from a temporary or movable premises other than a commercial passenger ship. This means that pop-up shops, for example, at music festivals will not be licensed to sell tobacco products or nicotine inhaling products.
3: Wow, I think that's um, very, very interesting. Or when people are at festivals over the summer uh, or when this legislation is enshrined in law, I think it's going to become very, very interesting that you can't buy cigarettes or you can't buy vapes. Uh, Imagine it, all the beer in the world, all the drugs in the world, And not a cigarette, let alone a vape will be sold legally, at least, uh, at a, a festival. No pop-up shops. Uh, that's just one of uh, the changes. There's a, another significant change for retailers.
1: Section 45 of the Public Health Tobacco Act 2002 prohibits the sale of tobacco products to persons under 18. This prohibition is being re-enacted at Section 29 of the bill. It will now sit alongside a ban on the sale of nicotine inhaling prod- products to persons under 18 and will provide for updated defences for Um, retailers. Section 92 revokes regulation from 2009 on the Register of Tobacco Retailers and the requirement that tobacco retailers have a sign on the counter. These regulations will need to be replaced as the Register of Tobacco Retailers will now be replaced by a licensing system.
3: And that is Minister of State, Hildegard Nocton. Let's speak to Benny Gilson, spokesperson for Retailers Against Smuggling. Good morning to you, Benny. Thanks for joining us. We just heard the Minister say you're going to need a licence if you want to sell cigarettes. You have a problem with that, don't you?
9: Yes, Michael. Because uh, you know, we we heard uh, Peltigern often there in that statement, you know, come out and say there'll be no pop up shops at uh, festivals. But uh, Michael, you can buy smuggled and illegal cigarettes every every place in this country. You know, she's she's asleep, totally asleep at the wheel when she says there'll be no pop up shops. Like cigarette smuggling has grown by a.
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
9: An unbelievable 14% extra in the last 12 months. It's gone from 18 to 32%. And this is for all that people like Hildegard Nocton can talk about. You know, is it fit or better to bring in laws to deal with criminality and the smuggling of cigarettes and uh, vapes. You know, vapes are not part of the smuggling racket at the moment. They will become so once these new laws come in. Now, we sell vapes here, but we don't sell them to under-18s because on the packet it states, not for sale to minors.
3: Hmm. I think most of the vapors in the country are under-18. That's the impression I have. I don't know if there's any truth in that.
9: Well, that's that's what you're led to believe, mm. Michael. I have to say, I don't see it around here. Uh, I'm close to Oh, the park Shaney. and I, I
3: see it everywhere. I mean, I see it outside shops. I see it uh, with kids coming out of shops. Uh, I've said it twice about uh, a 13-year-old girl who told me about the local disco. She said it's about three things: dancing, shifting, and vaping. At 13, you know, at not 13 not years that, of age.
9: Yeah, I'm not saying that they're not able to get them, Michael. Mm. Oh, I know. I know they're able to get them. I know, my head, I know mm. full well they're able to get them. Not only are they able to get vapes, Michael, mm. they're able to buy loose single cigarettes at one euro twenty per cigarette.
3: Mm. Okay, um, but let's get back to the license because you're um, under regulation at the moment. Uh, instead of uh, just having uh, the uh, sign displayed, you're going to have to apply for a license and reapply for it every year. That's
9: correct, And um, The licence, uh, we assume, is going to come in at anything between 500 and €1,000 per year.
3: That's a new yeah. fee, is it? You, you, at the moment, you, you don't have to pay in order to sell cigarettes?
9: No, no, that's a new fee. That's a new fee that's, that's coming, in, license, right, yeah. coming in, and it's only coming in on legitimate sellers of tobacco products. It is not coming in for anybody else that sells tobacco products. It's only coming in to target the retailer who sells the legitimate product. And like, what we are looking for with that fee is that that is ring-fenced to help stop the illegal and smuggled cigarettes coming into this country.
1: Mm.
3: They do a lot of, uh, of work on that at the moment, don't they? Uh,
9: well, the, we say we, the revenue and the customs are doing a good bit of work on it. But I'm afraid the authorities are not doing anything about it. They'll talk about what they'll do to. it ah,
3: well, uh, in fairness, Benny, Revenue and Customs are the authorities. Uh, I mean. No, uh, no,
9: no, Michael. The main, the main people would be the courts. The courts, when they're dishing out the fines, are dishing right, out okay. very, yeah. very meaningless fines to the people who are caught.
3: Mm. Uh, and they're not. You're saying.
9: No, no, they're not. Mm. No, but
3: they they, not. they do. Uh, there's uh, strict. Uh, fairly stringent uh, sanctions for people smuggling, is there not?
9: Their there, sanctions are there, but they're not implemented, Michael. If you understand mm. me, like you know, if you take it, if you take that over three hundred million in lost revenue over the last couple of years to the state from smuggled tobacco products has gone down the Swanee, mm. and the, the the number of fines or the amount in fines is less is less than a hundred thousand. You know the, the comparisons are unreal. You know you can you can break the law left, right, and centre by smuggling them in, but you're only going to get hit with a fine of anything from hundred to five hundred euro.
3: It's um, quite a uh, small fine, isn't it? If you're going to, it is. I mean, it you're is ta- are, you, are you saying that if you smuggle in a million euros worth of cigarettes, you're only going to be fined five hundred euro?
9: has been dished out Michael at the moment
3: hmm.
9: you know like it's, it's, it's it has to and come see, in on seizures and that C9. size though
3: on seizures that size or is it someone who's caught uh, on um, a corner with 200 cigarettes
9: well see generally speaking Michael on the seizures the people who are caught the, when, when the seizure is made most of the time there is nobody caught the product is found hmm. but there is nobody actually prosecuted for it Right. The product is found either in a ship or on a container or in, in a warehouse someplace away from... Mm. Uh,
3: or the cash one the or two, because uh, when you see yeah. these factories and that, I think there's a lot of people involved.
9: That's correct. That's correct. You know, like, we go back a couple of years ago, we saw where there was uh, 13 ton of raw tobacco, loose raw tobacco, seized here in this country. Now, Michael, you know anybody knows the thirteen ton of raw tobacco mm. didn't come didn't come in for people to chew it.
3: Mm. I think when that happened, I was asking you, um, <laughs> what would you need to store that amount of tobacco? <laughs> would you would, would you store it in the back of a forty foot container?
9: I, I don't think you would. No, I don't think mm. you would. Mm. You know, like yeah, you, you have to face the, the, the reality of it. You look at the round bales of hay or, or silage that are out there in fields today, and you take. Though take 20 or 30 of them mm. where will you store them? Yeah. You know, they're not something you bring in the boot of a car.
3: Mm. Okay. Well, we're going to hear a lot more about this law. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about the concerns you have uh, about this licensing uh, and uh, indeed how you said in your statement that the cost of living is pushing more people towards uh, the black market to buy cheaper yes. cigarettes uh, and that's so correct. on. I think too, yes. we'll be hearing uh, from festival goers uh, if they can't buy cigarettes. I think that's a, a peculiar thing. Um, I, I, I think it'll result, when people get used to it, uh, that they'll end up bringing 200 cigarettes with them, which smokers don't like to do. They like to buy uh, as few as some smokers, uh, because when they have them, they smoke them all. Uh, That's correct. And, and I think there'll be criticism or concern about that uh, over time. Uh, I was very surprised to hear that uh, about the festivals. Uh, not as surprised, I have to say, Benny, about the licensing. I, you probably weren't either. No, uh, no, no, but, no, no, no.
9: We, we were expecting that for the last couple of years, Michael, yeah, but, but that the license was going to come in. and that uh, a, An know, expensive
3: license, as you say, yes, fi- 500 yeah, an to euros. expensive license, Euro. on oh,
9: smaller yeah, retailers, yeah. Like mm. this, there's no point in beating yeah. around the like world. Mm. On smaller shops, Michael, you yeah. depend on to the... To continue,
3: continue doing market. what you're doing to have this new overhead of 500 to 1,000 euros, yeah. it's a lot to ask.
9: It is
7: a lot.
3: Yep. OK Benny listen we leave it there for the moment thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today Benny Gilsonen is a spokesperson for Retailers Against Smuggling
7: Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. on LMFM.
3: I think most of us are very much aware of the EU nature restoration law at this stage and it will result in farmers re-wetting land whether they're forced to do it or they do it voluntarily is a subject for discussion it's making its way through through the European Parliament at uh, the moment uh, and yesterday it passed the Parliament's Environmental Committee uh, albeit by a small margin and it is now to progress uh, to the next stage uh, as I say uh, it passed through uh, the committee yesterday and that was uh, despite a rejection amendment that was put forward by the European People's Party uh, which uh, of course uh, includes the Fine Gael MEPs yesterday in the doll, the leader of the Social Democrats, Holly Kearns, wanted to know how Fianna Fáil MEPs are ultimately going to vote when it comes uh, to this legislation being put before them.
6: Will Fianna Fáil MEPs vote for the Nature Restoration Law?
4: This government supports the Nature Restoration Law and the Thank European you, Parliament the European Parliament is separate to this Parliament. Uh, well, all I would say to you, Deputy, I agree completely as the, the importance of this matter, and Thank that Europe acts as a whole in a very, uh, in a very considered way, but in a very effective way.
8: There's good news from Brussels today in that the European Environment Committee has voted through the Nature Restoration Law, and I expect council meeting next Tuesday when we will be there representing the Irish position. Hopefully, it will also go through there and through a trilogue process, then to be agreed by the end of the year. I think that's important. I think I'd say any influence you can have on your EPP colleagues for them to support in the wider parliamentary plenary vote uh, later this summer uh, would be very much welcome because I think that European certainty will help us.
3: Green Party leader and Minister Eamon Ryan, Fianna Fáil Minister Dara O'Brien and Social Democrats leader Holly Kearns there. Let's speak now to Paul O'Brien, who's the Environment Chair with the Irish Farmers Association. Good morning, Paul, and thanks for joining us. It's very confusing for people, isn't it, when you hear two government ministers talking about the support for this legislation uh, and that's at um, a national level. But on a European level, Finnegale has walked out of, of talks and put forward a rejection amendment yesterday.
10: Okay, good morning to you, Michael, and all of you listeners. And um, I'm going to make it slightly more complicated as well because the vote actually was 44 for and 44 against. Mm. So it was a tie. So therefore, it didn't have a majority. So, therefore, we didn't proceed. So, what happened then was it? Would, they went on a whole series of voting individual measures and um, they're called CAMs, which are kind of um, amendments. And that went on for another two and a half hours until they had to stop to go into the full preliminary meeting of the Parliament. So, um, I, 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 my interpretation is most certainly different from, I suppose, the interpretation there is at the moment that has been you know within the doll yesterday it is stagnant it you know you know its it's kind of reached a deadlock in real terms if
3: this has now gone before. Well, I, mean, I think that's I think that's an interpretation, but in real terms, mm. uh, it's something altogether. Um, because it's uh, the EPP rejection amendment uh, that failed, which means that it, it now progresses to the next stage, and it, it goes to a full plenary vote, which means all of the MEPs yep. will vote on it next.
10: It does indeed, Mike, but um, to say that, you know, like this has now gone before a number of committees in the Parliament structure, um, it's failed in fisheries, it's failed in agriculture, and at best it could be said that there's a draw, maybe, at the moment. Now, it will go in, the, the amendments will be continued to be voted on. In,
3: That's in, only wishful thinking, Paul, because, uh, I mean, I'm i not arguing happened. with it, it was, it was a draw, it was 44 to 44, uh, but the reality of it is, it's progressed. And now it goes to a vote of all of the MEPs.
10: But they will be voting again in the Environmental Committee when they finish the amendments in 10 days' time. OK. So when that happens, there will then be another vote within the committee to say, are these um, amendments being accepted in order to proceed going forward? However, that's, that, that might be a side issue... They will be a full preliminary vote, yes, there will indeed, in probably the second to third week um, of July. But then at that stage, yes, the 705 MEPs will have an opportunity to vote toward this, hmm. or against it.
3: Okay. And what do you believe will be the outcome? Well,
10: I don't know, Mike, and, hmm. and just, so look, just so there's full clarity here, IFA have never been against the, the nature restoration law other than the way it is being prescribed and, and, you know, being presented over the last year. We've always said we want to work with biodiversity, we want to enhance biodiversity, but what we also need is a full impact and economic assessment done, social impact as well on how this will actually be from an Irish point of view. Mm. There's a very large 700 page document within the commission that says, you know, the biodiversity challenge that we're going through, and there's an acknowledgement of that, and we have never argued that, against that. But what we are looking for is to be able to design pathways that brings farmers together that and the politicians together to make a situation where there's win-win for everybody. Mm. And that's all we're trying to do. So we, I think this has become very, very... Maybe, you know, maybe the pressure does need to be taken off this... But there is an opportunity still for the Commission to press pause, to re-engage, to come back to us as farmers and to work out how we collectively can deliver for biodiversity but also can help, you know, maintain farmers' incomes going forward as well.
3: Right. Um, Does it matter uh, if this goes through the European Parliament or not? Because the Green Party says if not, if it's blocked that it will be looking for these measures to be introduced here and more?
10: Well, the Green Party and, and look on our own government, have always had a higher ambition than the Commission. That's in the Climate Action Plan, where they're looking for actually more lands to be, um, you know, t- to go into rewetting. That's higher than actually the European Commission's Ordinary Restoration proposals. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be able to do that now with state-owned land. Um, so all the board and them own the land that was there, mm. that's fine. Um, but now they will probably, and this is the only figure yeah. that's only come out now in the last couple of days. Um, really, I heard it first yesterday, Well, now they've actually got a figure. The figure of 14,000 head takers was quoted... Malcolm Noonan, who's going to be the minister, to ultimately in charge of National Parks and Wildlife, in order to develop the policy. So he's now come out with a figure of 14,000 additional hectares will be needed above and beyond the inventory that the state has to be able to provide.
3: To re outside of public lands? Well, not only re wet, Farm, farmland. 14,000 he- 14, hectares 14, of farmland. Hectares. Yes, yes. Right. Okay. Um, but We're told nobody's going to be obliged to do this. Uh, It won't be compulsory and that it will be voluntary.
10: That should be, if if the term voluntary is being used, it should be in the EU's text. It should be in the Commission's documents. Mm. There's no um, documentation to say that it's voluntary. And Michael, this is a law. This isn't a directive. Mm. So this is a law. If this is going to be voluntary, then surely you need to bring people with you on this. And, you know, threatening, um, I won't say threatening, but kind of trying to prescribe something that even at this late day, it's very, very difficult to, you know, when you get down to the detail, is very, very vague. And even the minister yesterday used the term vague. Mm-hmm. So here we are, one minute to midnight, a very, very revolutionary policy direction that will be a law, and even our own minister has admitted the word vague. So is, is that really good politics? Is that really good to be able to bring everybody together, if we're still working after three and a half years of this
3: policy well, direction... Well, 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 no, it's not, if you don't trust the government. Uh, and I think therein lies uh, the question for people, do you trust the government? Uh, because they're asking you to take them at their word that this will not be compulsory.
10: But our historic analysis is, under previous land designations, Particularly in the, the Habitats Directive that was signed into law in nineteen ninety seven. Farmers were supported for a number of years, the money ran out, Michael, and then the designation still stayed in place to this day. Mm. So if you are asking farmers to do long term measures to bring us up to the target of twenty fifty, you cannot do that with three or four year cycle. It has to be done with real commitment that if farmers are prepared to go on this journey, they will be protected and they will be supported on that journey.
3: Hmm. What if it is European law? What if it is Irish law, in other words?
10: Well, is that is, is that really great politics. It's well, not an opportunity, even at this late stage. Well, regardless of whether powers, it's great or brutal politics... politics for ...everybody to
3: work with. But regardless of, uh, of whether it's great or, or brutal politics, uh, you're saying that 14,000 hectares of farmland it will have to be rewetted. wetted uh, Will not that be... It's
10: re- not only re Michael, and, and there is going to be clear definitions. So land, 14,000 pet takers, and these were Minister Malcolm Noonan's figures last night on RTE will have to now be used in order to meet the nature restoration laws' objectives. And it's not only about rewetting. There's other definitions as well, and, and, and you know there's a lot of detail. There's an Article 4, there's Article 9, so there's lots of individual details. And as I said, yesterday's votes, they were going through 1,000 or, or, or upwards of 2,000 individual amendments. Mm. So it's a very complex piece of legislation. Mm. But I suppose the reality is, is that all we are asking is it's not too late in the day.
1: Mm. Well,
3: I'm forward, sure that's... Uh, you design
10: something that we can work with together to deliver a much better benefit for everybody going forward, including biodiversity.
3: OK, I take it the challenge here is much greater than it is uh, in the rest of Europe.
10: No, that's not true. Um, okay. Part of my work with IFA, I'm chair of a task force on biodiversity within a GGI, so that's the 20 million farmers and the 22,000 co-ops, and um, if you were talking to a Swedish forester today or a Finnish forester, they had major problems in order to get 70% of their land up to good ecological status by 2050. Um, if you were talking to an Estonian or a German or Polish farmer, they have problems with wetlands too. So each of the individual 27 countries have their own individual or unique set of characteristics in order to meet this challenge. Mm. This is why it's kind of widespread. And look, I'm Mm. I'm, I'm not going to mention, you know, the challenges when I'm talking to LMFM for other countries. The reality is, what does this look like in an Irish context? Mm. But Every single country has its own unique set of circumstances. What we need to do is... What we need to do is to work within the scenario of trying to develop a cohesive policy to deliver better biodiversity, but also helping farmers to have a future farming their land.
3: But the circumstances in other countries are very relevant uh, because this could very well become European law, which would make it law in this country and if that is uh, the case from everything i've been hearing uh, i think there's little doubt that there will be huge resistance to that law Uh, and uh, i suppose the point of the question is if uh, that resistance will be met with equal amounts of resistance across the european union
10: but you say resistance i'm saying there's still an opportunity for working together You know, collaboration. I'd rather use the term potential collaboration as opposed to the term potential resistance. There's still an opportunity, Michael, for the Commission to press pause and for us to work together to deliver a multi benefit biodiversity plan for nature restoration that recognises the challenges that we have, but also allows us to be able to be the boots on the ground. We're front and centre on this. We're working with nature every day. You know, we've done so much good work up until this point that has been frowned upon by certain people um, who are saying we're absolutely doing nothing. We have as good of credentials as any other country in the EU, if not better, We have a hedgerows, we have, you know, we are doing very, very well when it comes to this. We can do better. But this is an opportunity for us to work with the Commission as a collaborative approach in order to deliver the multiple benefits that are, you know, maintaining and helping farms' incomes also to, you know, improve biodiversity and working together on this. There's an opportunity, just press pause, work with us, as a commission to design how we can go forward so it's going to be multiple benefits for everybody.
3: Thanks very much for taking our call today, Paul. Paul uh, O'Brien, the IFA's Environment Chair. Michael Reed on
7: on LMFM.
3: Thanks for your WhatsApp message. Tom, who says, I'll put money on it and tell you now, Damien English will get re-elected. Just look at uh, the Tipperary man, Michael Larry. The problem is that young people don't vote. It's that simple. And the people that do vote will vote for the same people. Uh, again, thanks, uh, Tom, as I say. Uh, another WhatsApp from Ellen who says it's a bit late for Eamon Ryan. Now maybe they could put the extra cost on domestic users like they did a few years back, like uh, they did for big companies, uh, then nothing would surprise us at all. Thanks, Ellen, for that. Uh, another WhatsApp message from a listener who says, Michael, why can't they re uh, the Borgneumona bogs if they're not using those bogs? Uh, instead of leaving farmers without land. Uh, thanks uh, indeed uh, for that. I, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask. But I imagine you're talking about state land and the government has been saying uh, that they'll be able to meet these targets by re-wetting state land uh, and that farmers won't have to wet or re-wet their land uh, as a, a result. Uh, but uh, I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong 046 or 041 I beg your pardon 983 2000 text or whatsapp oh eight six one eight hundred six five eight. email michael at lmfm.ie Now uh, we were talking a little bit earlier on about the heated debate in the Dáil yesterday before People for Profit TD and the Fianna Fáil leader Antoinette me Hall martin
11: I want to ask the Antoinette about the Consultative Forum in relation to neutrality or what's the engagement with uh, Mick Barry earlier where the Taunashta was very worked up, I'd say, as Mick Barry's pointing out the reality that the list of invited speakers gives the game away to an extreme degree. You have one anti-war speaker in the form of Roger Cole and multiple people who are on record as being in favor of joining NATO, have links to NATO themselves and so on. Does this not just give Thank the you. entire game away? i not worked up at all. I just think it's shocking how you, how you guys operate.
12: Um, deputies operate in terms of sort of um, first of all your intolerance of a wide variety of views of debate Uh, and I I kind of instinctively felt this is how you were going to approach this this is a genuine debate huge uh, wide range of speakers with different perspectives people working in Irish universities people working at different fora the first thing you tried to do was attack the chairperson some weeks ago Personalization of this. The old story, let's 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 get the person, let's undermine the person, the integrity of the person, the international reputation of the person, all for our own political agenda. It is a sickening form of politics that you engage in, Deputy Murphy. I really I I find it abhorrent. But a more sinister element behind it is to snuff out debate. You talk about freedom of speech and so on in Tunisia. You're you're nowhere near that, I'm not suggesting that. But what you are trying to suggest is certain people can't speak because they have a view. That is what you're saying. They should not be allowed to speak. If there's up to 50 or 60 speakers, if one or two have views that are contrary, one or two, (laughs) then they should not speak. That is intolerance. You guys are no great advocates of freedom of speech at all. Uh And I shudder to think of the day when you would ever be an authority. Because, by God, would you put the jackboot on people who might have views
11: differently? That's where you guys are that's coming from.
12: I, it's not, it's where I can,
11: stand I, can I ask the T shirt to withdraw that? I will not withdraw anything. Can, any can th- I ask that to it's withdraw? A that? I, I'm asking right now because in the past there was an issue about not asking for it immediately. He said that if we were in power, we'd put the jackboot on people. Yeah, can I ask him to withdraw that comment? comment?
3: The tarnisher stood over his comments. I'm not withdrawing.
11: Like, we're in a parliament.
12: Mm-hmm. I f- believe fundamentally in the right of freedom of expression okay. in this parliament. Sorry, so, okay. sorry. I've witnessed the deputies opposite make all sorts of comments about okay. people.
13: That's okay, we're not going to have a debate. The, 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 debate. It's a bit the, rich like, for so, Deputy, sorry, Deputy Murphy to be off. looking for... Right. Can we through the chair It's relation? getting
12: so much squeamish now.
13: Can we do this through the chair, please? Through the this chair, is a yeah. question and answer basis. I, I, I've actually got distracted as to where we are in terms of time. Uh, the, Deputy Murphy, Murphy has a right to reply in relation to the question now. Yeah,
11: yeah I, I do want to... As, just ask the You've chair. Asked an, to, no, I asked the chair to that he's in breach of standing orders, saying that we would put a jackboot on people if we we're empowered to them, withdraw. I'm taking, I'm taking it to an opinion. To, you're in breach of standing orders. Sorry, through the chair. You've Resulting just an made it. Go and, go and made, say it outside the door. Like your disgraceful allegation that we we're Putin's you've public. Just, say it outside the Don't made an be assertion. abusing privilege. You've
12: just made an assertion that certain people shouldn't be on a platform. No,
11: no, no actually we didn't. Stop lying about what we said.
3: Now, as you can hear, it was getting very heated to the last Count Corlea tried uh, to restore order.
13: I'm going to resume this. The deputy has asked... The thornish to withdraw a comment, he said he won't do that. I'm asking you now, Deputy, to resume in relation to the question, because we're almost out of time.
11: What is apparent is not our exposure of the reality that the government has a hand-picked consultative forum with a hand-picked chair who is on record as being a supporter of US militarism. That's not abhorrent, us being critical of that. What is abhorrent, and what is contrary to democratic debate and free speech, is that the government is not doing any of this in the full glare of the public and allowing the public to decide. You were originally going to have a citizens' assembly. You ditched the citizens' assembly. Why? Because you were afraid of the views of the citizens. We had a bill in this parliament, which you voted down, to say that the people should have the right to decide. We should put neutrality in the constitution. We want to have a real debate about these things. However, what we're exposing, and what you don't like being exposed at all, is that these consultative forums are an absolute farce. They're part of a managed... Process designed to say that the great and the good have come together and have decided that Ireland is now too mature to stick with these old notions of neutrality and we're going to ditch it. That's why you have the thing completely stacked. I have no problem with people like Bridget Laffan or John O'Brennan or whatever, with explicit pro-anti-neutrality, pro-NATO views speaking. No problem. But I do problem. have a problem that you have one, one... Speaker in favour of neutrality over the course of four days. The thing is clearly rigged and you have a problem with that being pointed out.
3: And these forums get underway next week. Uh, Paul Murphy has one opinion on them. Micheál Martin has a different one.
11: It is a
12: first major national conversation on international security issues, foreign policies, defence. Why are you so afraid of it? And it is public and the public can participate both online and can make submissions and can attend. It's very transparent openly transparent, and that the Oireachtas Committee have been invited to attend all members of the Eroctus Committee on Foreign Policy and, and, and Defence. Uh, every member of the Oireachtas can attend, but there's been particular facilitation for the members of the Oireachtas Committee.
2: Right,
3: now there are the different opinions on uh, the forums and the appropriateness of uh, them, but what about that comment about People for profit putting the jackboot on people. Uh, the last Keon caller returned to this with Taunus de Martin. Um, and, and, um. Okay, thank
12: you. <laughs> Sorry. as chair, I'm
3: going
13: to have to ask you. To, to reflect on the use of putting the jackboot in. It's unparliamentary language. I don't think it's I, acceptable.
12: Well, so I'd, I'd, like so, to, I, I'd like to I, test statica here. Sorry, I don't think it's unparliamentary language. Well, I think I, it's... I'm making
13: a ruling, that I'm in relation to this matter, and I have given great um, discretion in relation to robust debates. But I, I would ask you to reflect accusing members of putting the jackboot in. It, it's just not. I do, I'd ask you to withdraw it. Mm-hmm. That's all I'd ask you to do on reflection. I
12: think it First of all, I didn't say they were putting the Jack in, but I said it in the future, given their trend. But we and their won't reports.
13: add to it. We won't for add to
12: the the, in the instance of civility, I'll take back the wall, Jack jackboot. Thank you. you
3: have had uh, uh, swallowing his pride, and Mihal Martin withdrawing the, uh, the comment there.
7: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on
3: LMFM. The SIPTU trade union uh, met with uh, the Minister of, and for Enterprise, uh, Simon Coveney, yesterday about the potential layoffs at uh, Tara Mines. You heard earlier in the programme the Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan, make it clear in the Doll yesterday that he won't be accepting the request to meet with SIP2 next week. He said he, he will be attending uh, the EU Council meeting uh, and will hope to progress things on the price of electricity there. This morning, trade unions have been meeting with uh, management. Uh, John Regan, SIP2 sector organiser, joins us now. Uh, a very good morning to you, John. Thanks uh, indeed morning, for joining well. us. What, what stage is that meeting at now?
14: Well, we've just broke up, uh, finished for today. The group of unions uh, can... Uh, I'll um, report back to further meetings on Monday and Tuesday We have two intense days of uh, negotiations where the company this morning confirmed that they are willing to look at alternative ways of trying to deal with the operational and financial difficulties that they are in. So that was very good news to hear this morning. Uh, and it's a question of can we get enough... Um, Alternative ways of dealing with the problems uh for both sides to be able to back away from a uh, care and maintenance situation
3: okay uh you said yesterday you like to see the glass as being half full uh it sounds half full today
14: yes, that's where we've got it huh? let's uh hope we can keep uh, filling it and uh stay at the table for as long as it takes to get uh keep this mine in operation that's our and, and it's not just to stay at the table to frustrate uh, the time limits that's uh, on top of us. It's all about trying to get what is um, uh, going to be the future of the mine for many years to come because um, it's going to be in uh, some difficulties. It's an old mine uh, and uh, the finances are always going to be a bit on the strained side of things, but hopefully we can bring enough of change to the table that uh, the parent company will roll in behind it.
3: Right. Uh, I, I take it uh, there would need to be significant uh, change uh, given the scale of uh, the problem and uh, you've already taken 3% pay cuts you volunteered to do that uh, in May what, what else uh, uh, is there is an option to prevent these layoffs further pay, pay cuts fewer layoffs um, shorter 12. working days
14: First of all, Michael, we have no pay cuts and pay cuts is not part of discussions uh, and never have been. So I'm not sure where that came from, but it certainly uh, isn't on the table at this moment of time. Uh, We're looking at what the company have identified as operational difficulties. And we've asked them to come to the table on Monday, putting more meat on that uh, headline, because we need to know what is the operational difficulties that they're experiencing And uh, we also, you know, they have said it made it quite clear they have financial difficulties as well. So the two of them items are going to be the first things to discuss on Monday morning. In the meantime, and over, you know, today, um, the group of unions are going to be meeting within their own groups to establish what can be done better and what can be uh, brought to the table on Monday. So that's where we're at at this moment in time. We equally had a very positive meeting with uh, Minister Coveney yesterday and uh, we shared with him a, a submission that is areas that he could bring uh, something to the table or the government could, and uh, he, he's taken that away from us and hopefully uh, the government will actually come up to the plate and uh, assist in making sure that the mine doesn't go into layoffs so we're, uh, we're heading this from a, from from both our own internal way of doing uh, business with a company and also we're, we're we're talking to the government about how what they might bring to the to the table
3: does that mean that the government may be able to or at least will look at possible ways of helping the company with the, its energy bills that are not in breach of state aid rules
14: Well, we haven't uh, delved into that kind of detail. We gave them headings where, um, you see, the thing about this this situation is this is the only mine in production in Ireland. It is uh, a unique situation where nobody can actually um, piggyback anything that might come by way of uh, government support on this because there is no other... Uh, similar situation. So, in that regard, we shared uh, that sort of an approach to the Minister. We also committed to, you know, meeting on other issues as we engage with the company. Um, We were, you know, hopeful yesterday that we would have an engagement, that they wouldn't shut the door on us, and that the door is open to talk to uh, Minister Coveney and whatever other government ministers we need to talk to uh, as this thing unfolds and the engagement starts showing up, uh, whatever the company has, because we haven't seen there. Agenda
3: yet. It was a a swift response, was it not, from Simon Coveney? You wrote to the minister and asked to to meet on Wednesday and asked to meet with him next week. He met with you yesterday. You wrote at the same time to Minister Eamon Ryan to meet with you next week. uh, I don't think there's any doubt, uh, listening uh, to what the minister said in the doll yesterday, that he uh, is not going to accept your invitation.
14: Yeah, and I heard that um, in in, in, uh, coming on the air this morning. That's the first I heard of it. It's very, very disappointing that a minister would do such a thing to uh, uh, 650 jobs and a business that, um, you know, helps the economy in a big, big way, both locally and nationally. And uh, I I just don't know how any minister could arrive at a point of not wanting to engage with worker representatives, trade unions. It's just mind-boggling. Uh, but not surprising because I'm two months chasing him uh, and that's the third letter he has received. Uh, he received the same time as Simon Coveney got it through email and he got it by post uh, the following morning. So, uh, again, he I know he stood up in the Dáil and said that he never seen the letter. That is, you know, absolutely unthinkable as to why uh, a minister would do that. Uh, it's just unreal.
3: unreal. Brilliant. Yeah, no, there's something wrong there, isn't there? If the minister hasn't seen the letter, um, I don't know, maybe somebody didn't pass it to the minister, but there's something wrong.
14: Well, it's his own personal email, and all the uh, contacts in the doll is uh, the one type of email. Mm. None of them bounced back. None of them, um, you know, can, as far as I'm concerned, they all received it, uh, including, uh, you know, TDs and ministers here in the county. Um, and wider. They mm. have uh, all got uh, knowledge of them let- of the letter going jointly to the two of them. The same letter is addressed to the two of them. So, uh, yes, Mr. Mm. Coveney, our Minister Coveney, uh, done a decent thing yesterday in contacting um, Damien English. You know, midday yesterday, we got the word that he was going to be visiting the mine and that he wanted to meet us before he met the management. So that mm. was uh, delivered and uh, we had, as I say, a very positive engagement with them. Uh, but again, there's nothing delivered. Uh, but we, you know, we were hopeful okay. that you know, we get across the line here and uh, hopefully we can deliver enough to convince the parent company that they don't need to put the mine into care and maintenance.
3: Well, it's good to hear that you're hopeful going in, into the weekend. Uh, the talks will resume on Monday. And if nothing else, hope is not lost at this stage.
14: Exactly, exactly. John,
3: John, thank you very much uh, indeed uh, for that and for joining us once again on the programme today. John Regan, SIP2 sector organiser, brings our programme to its conclusion today and this week. Maggie McGuire research. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. (laughs) Bye-bye.
2: The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.
7: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.